Mark Iskowitz. I'm editor-at-large for MMM, and I'm super excited to be moderating this sponsored podcast with MRM for Health. It's called The Truth About Our Relationships with Health. And we're going to discuss MRM for Health's new global study, which deconstructs our fraying relationship with health and healthcare. Joining me are Peter Rooney, EVP Managing Director and Global Healthcare Practice Lead at MRM for Health, along with Rob Rothschild, SVP Global Strategy Health Practice Lead, also MRM for Health. Peter and Rob, thanks so much for joining me today. Thank you. Mark, thanks for thanks for having us. It's a pleasure to be here. Absolutely. I'm really looking forward to this. Um, so earlier this month, uh, you put out a study with McCann Truth Central, which is the global intelligence unit in McCann Worldwide, um, called The Truth About Our Relationships with Health, designed to show how the definition of our relationships with health is evolving, uh, kind of deepening our understanding of that, and what brands can do about it. You also announced, along with the Truth Study, the new branding for MRM for Health, which is a dedicated global healthcare practice within MRM. And so uh, as kind of a first question here, uh, I wanted to ask you, you know, why now? Uh, MRM has had a health practice for over 25 years, uh, but, uh, you know, you're making some substantial expansions here. Uh, What's going to be different here about MRM for Health? Thank you, Mark. Well, there's, as everybody knows, there's never been a more important time individually or collectively for us to prioritize health. Uh, And we're all very fortunate to be working in this space uh, because it does make such a difference. Um, Also, the the nature and the importance of relationships have dramatically changed for each of us as individuals uh, within our lives, our families, our friends. Relationships have changed. How we communicate has changed. How we show up has changed. It is dramatic in terms of the way that relationships have changed in health and across the spectrum of health. So we felt this was the perfect time to bring MRM for Health to the market, which is our our new global practice dedicated to serving brands in the health space. So like you said, we're we're building on the 25-year heritage in healthcare, as well as the history of of data-driven marketing, right? We have brought together the integrated network of talent and capabilities, uh, to provide more meaningful, deliberate um, focus on healthcare, we've brought together, and you asked what, what has changed, we've really brought together medical and, and behavioral science, uh, as well as data and data analytics expertise in the healthcare space. Uh, in addition to that, technology and commerce have also played and will continue to play a, a big role for us going forward. So um, where MRM has focused on uh, owning relationships and helping businesses grow meaningful relationships with people at MRM for Health, we believe the most important relationship that any of us have as, as individuals, as humans, is the relationship that we have with our own health. And really important for, for this conversation is the, the relationships that we have across our health journey, because that health and the relationship changes as we go through our journey. And the relationship that we have with those along the journey with us, whether our spouses, family caregivers, physicians, specialists, that changes as well. So we're really excited to, to share more with you today. Sure, thank, thank you. And you know, you you bring up a great point, Peter, and that is that you know, as a, as a person goes through the healthcare journey, obviously the relationship with with their health and with the healthcare system changes. Uh, Rob, can you can you give us some real world examples of what that looks like? in today's healthcare industry? Sure, I think it comes down to to decoding, right, relationships. And that's where we connect uh, a client's data, much deeper look at their data, augment it with outside data, right? We're we're very much 
uh, proponents of the outside-in approach, being able to look at uh, the influences, behaviors, um, the demographics, psychographics, everything that we can about both, whether it's professional or uh, personal, individual consumers, and being able to look at their relationship with their own health, right? Not a journey to a product, not an awareness, consideration, and so on, but understand that someone's relationship with COPD, as an example of, of work we've done with GSK, it's a it's it's been decades in the making that that condition, uh, a re their relationship with their doctor has therefore been in place for decades, and as they progress through the disease, right, they will come into play uh, for multiple treatments. We had a client uh, who had individual classic journeys uh, for each of their individual treatments without recognizing it's the same consumer and it's the same physician. So by being able to map these over the course of a lifetime, being able to overlay, I think, the emotional tensions between a physician and a patient to understand what was driving or deteriorating trust dramatically affects how you end up going to market. Uh, if you do look at it through the lens of improving relationships to improve outcomes. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that... Um... You know, and we'll get into more about this, this findings from the study a little bit later in terms of how the relationship is evolving. Uh, but, you know, bringing analytics to bear and all these different types of uh, insights into um, how patients uh, interface with, with their health. Um, as, as you said earlier, there's no, no better time, you know, for, for that. Uh, but uh, Peter, I wanted to just ask you, you know, in, in addition to kind of this global expansion, uh, what areas of the healthcare industry are you eyeing for growth these days? Right. So we are focused on relationships and, and, and relationships play such an important role across the spectrum of health. Right. So we think about and, and we're working, partnering with um, clients in lifestyle and wellness brands. Right. The relationship that you have with your own health as a consumer. Right. With these lifestyle brands, the role that behavioral science plays in those brands really understanding what are some of the barriers that stand in the way? What are the methodologies to behavior change that we can employ to create some of those lifestyle and wellness changes? On the other side, when we talk about uh, chronic conditions and, and sick care, and this is diabetes or Alzheimer's disease or other serious conditions, right? The importance and, and even rare disease, which is really important for us, right? The idea of bringing together patient oftentimes caregiver, uh, and perhaps an entire care team around shared decision-making. What an important concept that is. How do, how do we not only use behavioral techniques, but engage technology to make those relationships stronger, more transparent, um, and ultimately produce better, help produce better outcomes. So, uh, so really we're, we're exploring the full range of opportunities through the lens of relationships. Okay, great. So let's let's segue over to the study. Um, and you know, this was supplemented with MRM Health's own ethnographic search and social research in more than 20 countries. One of the big takeaways, as I understand it, was that healing has been separated from healthcare. Can you expand on that, Rob, and what you mean by that? Sure. I, I mean, you see an unprecedented level of technology, an acceleration of, of, of science to treat. The, the, the most severe of conditions. You see supercomputers 
in everyone's pockets. You see um, more data than there's ever been, right, on our own health. Uh, 30% of the world's data is, at this point, uh, actually health data. And yet, we are sicker, we are more fatigued, we are actually, for the first time in decades, dying younger than ever before. The study really was looking to deconstruct the current healthcare landscape to understand why. And this idea that healing is separated from healthcare came to the fore. Healing being in, in, in its, its most uh, core elemental sense, as you go back, you know, literally thousands of years, healing is about the restoration of ourselves and the restoration of ourselves to ourselves and to our community it has nothing to do with illness in and of itself. Healthcare is a system, right, completely incentivized and built to treat acute illness. And when we anchor our definition of health to health care as a system, right, which, which, which both works for and against us in so many different ways, we have separated our sense of what actually is the outcome that we need to achieve. And as we look at that and say, how do we help understand or improve relationships in health to improve health, we, we look at what makes for a strong relationship, right? That they be rewarding, that they be resilient, that they be reciprocal. Uh, and fundamentally, they need to be based on trust. And trust has been uh, lacking or at least withdrawing from our healthcare system. Sure. And um, yeah, you bring up a great point that, uh, you know, I, I just read a stat the other day that our lifespans actually went down uh, by a couple of years, uh, which is really surprising, you know, considering the uh, level of advances, you know, that we're seeing um, in, in, in healthcare, health tech, innovation, everything else. Um, so, uh, you, you know, your point about trust is a good segue to the next question here. Trust, as you said, is fundamental to all relationships. How has, has trust shifted and, and what impact does that have on our healthcare system today? Yeah, I'll, I'll jump in there, Mark. COVID has had a huge impact on trust in healthcare, right? Um, our first truth, if you will, is called the great healthcare trust recession, right? And, and this has happened at arguably the most important time in, in, in any of our in any of our lives, right? Trust in the healthcare system globally, and we saw this in our research across different uh, countries, decreased during the pandemic. Not only with patients, and this is this is really important. Physicians, nurses, healthcare providers, uh, we saw them become burnt out, right? And have their own lack of trust in their own healthcare system and the executives within within those systems as well. So when we have burnout and lack of trust from the, from the people that we rely on most, it really is only a matter of time until we see an impact on, on quality of care, physicians and nurses and healthcare professionals leaving the practice. And then ultimately the, the ultimate consequence is um, a decrease in health outcomes. On the other side, for us, the public, we're all playing, uh, paying lots of attention, more attention uh, to our own health, right? It's not, we're not taking it for granted, perhaps the way that we did prior to COVID, right? People are desperate to understand and control their own health now, right? And we're, we find ourselves taking it into our own hands, not only because we don't trust the system, uh, but we're turning to possibly less credible sources. We're shifting from doctors and the advice that we would get uh, to the internet, 
right, to other shared communities. We're listening to friends and family. So we're, we're taking direction um, from, from common understanding and, and perhaps pseudoscience, if you will, as opposed to tr more truth and credible fact-based information. So the lack of trust that we have in the healthcare system is separating us from those best equipped to address our health concerns. And it's that fracturing that Rob talked about and, and the, the distinguishing between health and us taking care of our own health, wellness and healing and how the healthcare system is getting in the way. So what we're looking to do is understand how we engender trust and equality to strengthen relationships across the entire system, not just for the public, but also for the healthcare professionals. So we've got a lot of work to do there. Sure, sure, yeah. Um, the fraying of trust certainly is a, is a big, big problem now. You know, the messaging that, that people are hearing is just not resonating. And that forces them to, you know, when they're dealing with misinformation, they're, they're going then to um, other less reliable sources and less authoritative sources on social media and elsewhere. Uh, so it's important to, to win back that trust. And we, we talk about, say, people of color, just saw another interesting stat that showed that surprise, somewhat surprisingly, um, trust in the healthcare system actually rose, but people of color still want to see people that look like them, you know, as their healthcare providers that they go to, uh, which would increase trust, which is a good segue here to, to the next topic we wanted to touch on, which is the spotlight on racism and health inequities over the past two years. What are some of the findings in the study vis-a-vis uh, you know, uh, racism and health and um, uh, creating, you know, the goal of inclusive relationships with health for all. Peter, you want to tackle that one? Absolutely. Thank you. So uh, we start this by talking about our postal code, our zip code uh, is a better predictor of health than our genetic code. So again, as, as Rob talked about earlier, we've seen great advancements in healthcare, increased for the most part lifespans, decreased you know, child mortality, um, enhanced quality of life. But the, the fact and, and, the, and the brutal truth is that it's not evenly dispersed, right? Health equity uh, remains an enormous global challenge that's crippling healthcare systems, right? Suffering, cost, outcomes, these are all realities that are still present. They were, they've been amplified certainly through COVID, uh, but they've been around for generations. Uh, two examples that have really stuck with me through the course of this study, uh, which you may have heard. Um, one was uh, two adjoining neighborhoods in Chicago, right, have a life expectancy difference of 15 years. Two neighborhoods right next to each other. The difference in one number in a postal code wow. can have such an enormous impact on life expectancy, 15 years, right? The other one uh, from the World Health Organization, children from the poorest 20% of households are nearly two times as likely to die before their fifth birthday as, as children from the richest 20%. So we see, you know, race does play such a, such a, um, a meaningful role uh, in, the, in these disparities and health outcomes, which is most important. So um, an added layer to this, and we saw this in, in, the, in the wellness study, are social determinants of health and how we define health, right? Because it's beyond um, some of the, you know, it includes, I should say, environmental, air quality, nutrition, access to care, all of these play such an important role in health journey. And you think about the relationships and how all of these factors play such an important role in the relationships and outcomes that people have. So it's unfortunate, but true. Wellness 
and, and health and healing um, seems like it's out of reach for far too many people uh, in the world's population. And of course, physicians and, and brands know this, right? The health inequities. Um, and, and we're all working very hard to do it. We need to restore trust, a common language, and create um, tools specifically to address uh, many of these disparities. And uh, it, it's a, um, it's a, there's a long road to go. Sure, and you talk about the importance of social determinants of health uh, as a framework uh, for improving healthcare and, and understanding, you know, a lot of the um, disproportionate impact of things like the pandemic on um, certain populations, uh, the black and brown communities in this country. Um, and then, you know, you bring brands into it. Do you think that every, every farmer brand, for instance, should have a social care strategy? Absolutely. And, and, and I would hope that that most do. Right. And, and it's a matter of prioritizing. I think we need to make sure that um, that this is at the, the, the top of our priority. Um, you know, we talk about um, creating health for all and, and um, in creating inclusive content is really, really important as we talk about relationships, because everybody's health journey is different. Uh, and we really need to make sure that we're speaking directly to each of the different uh, audiences that are out there. Yeah, and, and I'll, I'll just jump in to say that the idea of conscious inclusion is inherent in, in the strategies and work that we will bring forward to, to our clients to understand what, what is preventing anyone who should be participating with their treatment, with their care, uh, from doing so, and how can we address it? Sure. Yeah. So, so important. Um, let's, let's shift gears once again, because I know it was a, a wide ranging study. Uh, vulnerability emerged as well as a key theme uh, for the past couple of, of years. Can Rob, can you speak to some of the global social listening insights your team has found in the research as it relates to healthcare? Yeah. I'm one of the truths was, uh, or is we have never felt more vulnerable and that is both collectively uh, and uh, individually. Right, because for the first time in, in modern history, we've all experienced a very common human, social, economic crisis. And it's been very, very difficult for all of us to deal with. However, I think you need to look at that vulnerability, that, that, that rising level of stress, uh, the, the accumulation of, um, of, of stressors, uh, on us that, that cause both mental and physical uh, ailments or, or symptoms. And it's not just from the past two years, right? This has actually been rising for well over 15 years, right? It's been accelerated certainly in the last two, uh, but it's it's been a long time coming. It's been a long time building uh, and it's reaching the point or of tension uh, that we must begin to grapple with it, right? We've said, uh, even amongst ourselves, we've said the next pandemic will be mental health, right? I mean, this is where we are all suffering some form of mental distress. Seven in 10 people in the world say they are struggling with some level of depression, anxiety, and so on. Uh, I, I think 30% of people in Italy are showing signs of PTSD after the last uh, few years. There's a lot of things like this, you know, it's going on across the world. And, and we're grappling or helping some of our clients begin uh, to create new language 
begin to create new approaches to be able to help people be able to open up about this, to be able to reach out for help. Because in and of itself, it isolates us, right? As, as we become depressed, as we become anxious, we actually withdraw from our, our friends and family. We withdraw from our social networks and we need to be able to reach out. We're doing work with, with Sanofi uh, in Poland where the language doesn't even allow discussions on mental health, right? It, the language itself only helps uh, be able to discuss mental illness, which kind of puts it uh, to, to an extreme. And, and so that creation of a very new and different environment uh, is absolutely necessary. Sounds like uh, a change in the lexicon is, is needed there, um, but, no, but no better time, right, to sort of facilitate that shift from sick care, uh, if you will, um, as I think you call it reactiveness in the study, over to, you know, preventive care, well care. Sticking with you for a second here, Rob, can you address that? What do you think it will take for us to reach the aspirations of, of greater wellness? Well, I think uh, this is especially true in the U.S. I mean, we do have to say that where the incentivization and compensation models for uh, physicians as they kind of come down through the care systems are based on the volume of services that they provide, not the value of the care that they provide, right? There's no actual benchmarking. Um, there's, there's no kind of ROI on health itself, right, as, as that expands over the course of time. So even as we see, you know, more access to care, being able to go to Walmart, you know, in the future, near future, maybe, you know, Amazon and so on, the continuity of, of being able to see a single patient and their experience and being able to track their individual health doesn't yet exist. So back to with all this data, with all this technology, with all this access, it's not going to help someone who needs the continuity of care that's required for a chronic condition, or even to be able to interpret multiple symptoms as being, uh, uh, you know, pointing to maybe something that is more rare, more acute. Uh -huh. Yeah, we're, we're still kind of knee deep in that process of shifting from fee for service over to value-based care, but you're saying that shift really is a precursor to realizing the aspirations of you know, more of a preventive type of model. Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. And um, you know, your study also identifies ways data and technology um, are kind of um, um, unintendedly, if you will, um, widening the gaps in healthcare. Peter, can you explain that finding a little bit? Sure, Mark. The, the promise of, of technology and health data is tremendous, right? The potential to connect patients, providers in new ways is, is, um, is very hopeful and very promising. You know, today, uh, you know, I've got my watch on. I can track my heart rate. It tells me how long I slept, how well I slept, um, my oxygen level. Uh, we can always saw at CES this year. We can have sensors built into our, our TVs and our light bulbs. This is really fascinating and amazing stuff that is going to provide uh, great value. Uh, it's the value we're looking for now, right? And the reality is much of the data that we have is still fragmented and siloed. How do we act upon it? How do we use this to better inform uh, our relationships? How do I use my watch and the data and the information that I get in my watch to, uh, to improve my relationship with my health, right? And more importantly, 
what value is it to my doctor? So he or she can, can incorporate that into uh, their practice. And ultimately, I think the, the real important thing is, how does it inform clinical decision-making, right? So, um, so there's a lot of promise, but we, we see it with, with EHR systems, we see it with wearables um, and, and other devices. Uh, the data is still siloed and we need to be able to action upon it. Also really important around widening the divides and, and the potential and the opportunity, uh, really important. We've taken great leaps forward in, um, as we call it, the where of care, right? Where is care happening? Telehealth, right, as we saw over the pandemic, has really jumped forward uh, and was embraced more so at the beginning and, and, and during the heart of the pandemic. I think it's receded a little bit, and that has to do uh, with a lot around the experience of telehealth. Uh, but we've also seen uh, additional sites of care. We're talking about CVS, Walmart, even Amazon, certainly getting, getting into it, right? So we're bringing more primary care services and locations forward. So we're getting better access. We're getting more screenings. These are all very, very positive. But if you're managing a chronic condition, right, um, you're seeing a doctor. It might not be your doctor. You get access to the care, but it's not your doctor. So there are a lot of benefits, but there's still also a lot of fragmentation. And this connection, the collaborative, the, the collaborative nature of it, um, of care, is it's becoming, this is back to Rob's earlier point around your, your health and wellness versus healthcare. Healthcare is becoming more transactional. So we're losing a bit of the humanity and the relationship and the continuity of care that Rob is talking about. Um, in what in what we're receiving today, so uh, it holds great promise. We're not there yet. We need to be able to work to to use technology and data to be a force multiplier um, to create more consistent relations relationships centered around the continuity of care. Okay, and so you know, because of the effect of you know the pandemic and working from home for two years. Uh, most of us have recalibrated many aspects of our lives, you know, from our work-life balance to being able to spend more time, you know, with our families and, and sort of control our personal lives more. I'm wondering, what are the implications for our relationship with health? You know, how have we recalibrated that all-important relationship? Rob? We are recalibrating, I think, all of our behaviors in health. There's the work-life balance, right, as, as, as you were speaking. Uh, but it's also about how we see and understand uh, our own health, how we are connected to others and those around us. We're seeing those with chronic conditions have really seen a dramatic change in how they view themselves, right? If diabetes was formerly a, a condition to be just managed through lifestyle, you know, suddenly it, it is a high risk condition, right, to, to uh, to bring on other viruses, not just COVID, but we look at, you know, RSV and, and, and other things, suddenly I'm not as healthy as I thought I was, right? And, and those kinds of changes need to be made as well, which means you do reach out for more information. You do want to be more proactive. Uh, you do want to take more time. Uh, you do have more fitness and, and exercise goals. You want to spend more time uh, with your family. Uh, which, though, is, 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 is a struggle then as we begin to kind of look at all of the different dimensions we now believe to be, you know, truly aspirational for well-being, the physical, the mental, uh, the sexual, the, the spiritual, and so on, it actually becomes harder and harder for us to be able to say we believe that we can balance these, right? So as our aspiration grows, so does the gap 
right, in our being able to achieve it. We believe they are actually moving uh, out of reach of us. So it's not positively reinforcing kind of all of these behaviors that are meant to rebalance us. Okay, yeah, that's, that's surprising. Um, you don't have to put that on the recording, but <laughs> you do see brands uh, embracing uh, that move to things like virtual care, you know, where patients can get, pres- you know, get see a doctor online, they can get prescribed a drug online, um, and then have it delivered right to their door. So they get, you know, end to end service uh, on their phone, so to, you know, uh, for instance. Um, but as you say, that can create um, uh, kind of widen, widen the divide, uh, if, if you will, um, even though it can be more convenient. So what, what role can brands play to help bridge that divide uh, and, and this sort of fraying relationship with health? It, it comes down to the experience. And I'm glad you asked that question, right? It, um, we talk about and we look at um, medical supplies. We look at OTC products. We look at um, um, RX to OTC switches and, and even um, um, hub services. The, the idea of creating experiences is, is, is very important and we're doing it in commerce as well. So making sure that um, we're able to educate and connect the consumers with the right inf- and patients with the right information to make sure that the experience is one uh, where, where it leads to the intended uh, output. Sure. Rob, can I get your take on that as well? We'll, we'll give you the last word here. Yeah. <laughs> I think as, as Peter said, it's about understanding the experience that's necessary in order to restore the relationship, right? That needs to be restored with themselves, with their doctor, with their family, with their community, you know, whoever it might be uh, that, that we need to do that. Um, I, I will say, you know, we talk about the brands that role, that the role that brands can play. It's, it's not just what we can do, right? Because of our resources, access to data, access to technology and, and what we can do. It's a responsibility, right? That people are putting on us, that physicians and uh, patients are putting on us. They believe that brands have more power to change the world than governments or institutions do, right? And, and they believe that brands need to put more of a focus on helping improve our health and well-being, right? So I think there is a recognition that it is something that these brands must be able to do. And and we say brands because we really want all of our clients to to put themselves forward, understanding that there there are so many dimensions to being a brand that helps them establish relationships even with their customer. And, and Rob, I, I would I would offer that bringing back trust, the human touch, enabling right the technology and data to refocus the relationships away from the healthcare system, but really on health and healing. Right. Yeah, I think that's the overall message, right? So, you know, so that to that end, as as we all further our relationships with, and then we get reacquainted with health and healing um, in this post-pandemic world, let's do this again sometime. Thank you. Thank you, Mark. It was a pleasure. Absolutely. It was my pleasure to host you. Uh, so this has been Mark Iskowitz for MRM for Health. Thanks for joining us, everybody. We'll see you next time on the MMM Podcast.